Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the recording of the Practice Manager webinar that was run on Wednesday the 21st of July. So we're delighted that Robert Ramsden from um, PCSE has joined us again today. So he kindly came just before the launch um, of the um, online financial system just before it was the end of May wasn't it so it was just before the 1st of June and we said please please come back in six weeks time and Robert said yes I will and he has so this is really a time to um, catch up with you Robert about what's been happening and we've asked you to submit questions that you might have had about PCSE in advance and we've got some of those um, I'm also I'm joined by um, Michelle um, Lombardi, Director of Primary Care, and Dawn Charlcroft, the Assistant to the Directors. And um, I would just say welcome to um, Dawn and Michelle, who know a lot about PCSE as well. So they might be chipping in, and they'll certainly be joining us later on in the webinar. So, Robert, shall I start off with just some of the queries we've had in to start with? I'm going to start off. Can payments now be made to a PCN rather than a practice, bearing in mind they have to have an ODS code? The BMA advises a form that PCNs need to complete to trigger this. Is that right? So at the moment, payments can't uh, be made direct to a PCN. But there is, I did check on this this morning, there is a separate project happening with making sure that we can enable that. And um, apparently it's a lot more complicated than it seems because we have to set up all the hierarchy in PCSE online to make sure that the right practices sit under the right PCNs. Um, but they the deadline for having that in place is April 2020. So it, it could take some time to get there, um, but it will be correct. Did you mean April 2022? Oh, sorry, 2022, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, you know, I, I just suddenly thought, is it, is it, it must be the heat. That's fine. Okay, that's, that's helpful. Okay, thanks, Robert. Um, one issue that a few people have brought up is the time frame in which practices can expect financial errors to be dealt with, cash flow issues, People need to know how to plan, and 40 days seems to be an extraordinarily long time. Yeah, I think the 40 days has come from where people have raised complaints because that's the the service level for responding and resolving complaints. Um, whereas the issues that we've seen throughout the first month of the system being live and then into this second month, which is almost like the first month again, but I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, some things have come to light which haven't worked as expected. Um, but rather than uh, quote a timescale for all of these issues, we're tackling them on a case-by-case -case basis, but looking to correct them in bulk. So where practices are getting in touch to say, I have experienced X, we're collating those, we're raising them as defects or issues with our IT team, and then we're, we're putting a fix in for all of them. And what we're aiming to do, because we don't have one single issue that affects every practice in the country, it's kind of a fortunate position to be in, which means that the system works and that there's some data things that are happening behind the scenes, which are impacting parts of users. So we're tackling those parts of users. And um, that just makes it a little bit more difficult or challenging for us to communicate that out, because we can't just put a blanket statement out to everyone saying you're experiencing this when they might not be. Okay, so Dawn, did you want, I think Dawn wanted to come in on that, Robert. Yes, please, if I can. Um, it is good to hear, Robert, that, you know, you're dealing with them on a case-by-case -case basis, but arguably practice managers, that they do need some kind of time scale. I'm not trying to get you to commit to anything specific at this moment in time, but if somebody raises an issue and is sort of told, we will deal with it, one week, two weeks, three weeks, how long is that piece of string? They, they've got to have something to work with. Otherwise, you, you might find a week goes by and they think, I've, I've waited, I've not heard, I'm going to raise a complaint and, and you know, that's just going to wait them 40 days. I, I mean, it's a little bit, I don't think it's precise enough is probably what I'm trying to say. I think practice managers need a little bit something more to, to go by other than, you know, we're dealing with it in pockets. That's all great to know. But, you know, how long do they wait before they raise a complaint then? Yeah, I, f I fully understand that. And we are working at getting a bit um, better at communicating that, but probably earlier at communicating it. So at the moment, what we have to do when, when someone raises an issue or often will raise an issue, we have to do that full scoping piece to understand the impact because one person's experience might not be the entirety of the issue. We then have to go through a development phase of what the fix is, do some testing in the test environment and then look at when we can deploy it into the system. 
And it's this deployment part where us as a communications team know, actually, we've got a date there where that is going to go in as a fix. And then there might be some scenarios where we have to manually backdate some sums or put an adjustment in a future month. So we look at how many people are going to be in that scenario and just communicate that to them. So we're trying to keep on top of it as soon as we know when fixes are going to be deployed and what that means to the practice or the user, we let them know directly. But we're looking at how soon we can actually set that expectation. Thanks, Rob. I think, Michelle, I think you wanted to come in. Yeah, I think I would agree with everything that Dawn has said. I think the key bit, and unfortunately, history with PCSE responding to queries, there is a real level of anxiousness, particularly around finance. So when, if there's no time frame given, there's no doubt probably practices will, have, will feel they need to put a complaint in because the history says that actually things don't get resolved. So I think it's really just if practices could be given, and as Dawn said, I know you can't commit to a time frame, but just some rough something that gives them some hope that this is going to be resolved because we're still dealing with queries from 2017 that haven't been resolved. And it's building that um, trust again that actually queries will be dealt with and not just left unanswered and unresolved. And Kate, I see Kate Ross has just put a comment on the Q&A box. Um, Robert, this explanation is all well and good, but I've raised four queries and no notification of any of them. So it, it, as you say, it's, it's communication and it's expectation, isn't it? Yeah, and I fully appreciate that. And I'll take that back to the rest of the business. Not, not that this will be the first time they've heard that. Um, I don't know if I talked about it last time, but I, I do the um, regular reports on the customer feedback that we get into the business. And that is something that we've seen spike since the 1st of June because there are things that happen. And I, I appreciate practices or users don't necessarily know if it's right. So they're asking questions, but not getting a response. And, and we might be doing a ton of work in the background, but unless we tell you, then yeah, you're right. You're, it's driving more queries, which is causing the same frustration. So we need to break that cycle. Yeah. Dawn, do you want to come back in? Yes, if I can, please, Robert. One of the things, not, not specific actually to the payments and pensions, but queries generally per se, um, is a lot of practices have said if they raise more than one query, and that happens, multiple issues about multiple um, topics, if they raise more than one query, when they do get a response, there's nothing in it to tie it up as to, to which query that, that relates to. So sometimes it can get quite confusing, especially if you've got two or three GPs pension queries and you get a response, but you don't actually really know which one it relates to. Is there any way that something in the system can tie up the response to the original query? There, there will be, certainly. I think in the past, particularly with financial queries, we've been quite restricted in what we can include in the response back to the practice. Um, but now that we have the whole PCSE online users with specific roles and we know that the practice has authorised this person to have access to this information, we should be able to divulge more to make it clear that actually this query is about this case. So it, it should get better. Um, and then for things that are not finance, so I know we've got a project underway at the moment with the performance list. Um, we have a number of automated responses built into the system. And we've seen that those are being pushed back out to the users, but they're not that helpful. Um, so we're just looking at it, everything with a really critical lens around how do we really spell this out? So if they're going to get an automated response, how do we make sure that's the only response that they need and they know what they need to do next? Um, so things should get better now that we've got payments and pensions in this system, but I'll still need to keep pushing it from a, a customer experience perspective. Okay, thanks, Robert. We'll move on. So um, Hilary Andrews from Dorset has submitted this question in advance. I submitted two certificates of pensionable profits relating to a former partner in February 2020, 2020. Neither of them appears to be actioned. I recently submitted a follow-up query using the um, CAS numbers, but the portal told me that the cases have been closed and redirected me to another section which required a reference code and a password which I don't have. I presume this is the portal for the GPs and now she had to submit them herself. Is that is that how it's supposed to be working? Um, so don't, she doesn't need to resubmit them. Uh, if they've been submitted, we've got them and we'll be working through them. Chances are the case will have been closed because we'll have done our part of it. It may be that you can't see it in the portal due to the data issues that we communicated about GP pensions impacting some 
users. So it might just be that it's not visible yet, but we have fixes in place for that. So yeah, I think the takeaway from that one is if you've submitted the either the Type 1 or Type 2 forms or certificates this year, don't submit them again. Um, the frustration is, you know, she said they left in February 2020. So how long do you wait, assuming you've done your bit and it's waiting for something? Again, it comes under communication, isn't it? They just don't know what's going on. Yeah, it does, yeah. And okay. I think the communications with regards to the end-of-year certificates for pensions, I believe those go direct to the GP rather than to the practice. So it may be that something's happened with this GP, we've communicated to them, but not to yeah. the practice. You can, I can see it. There's a, there's a black hole appearing there, isn't there, when people don't quite know where it's going and who's chasing it because you don't know who's waiting for it. And but as you say, hopefully that sort of thing will resolve. I'll just move on to the font size um, on the PDF reports when you print them off. People are struggling to read them. And actually when you print them off, some of the, um, some of the numbers seem to be actually missing. Yeah, and, and that's fair fair feedback. We've had that since the statement started to get generated. So we've raised that as a future improvement. Um, but I, d I wouldn't expect that in, in July. It'll come after all the, the data issues and the technical side of it. All that's fixed. We can look at improvements. But yeah. But that sounds like quite a nice quick win, I would have thought, doesn't it? Just, just, just for font size and get it to print off well? I mean, you would think. You would think. You would yes. think. Okay, moving on. Um, is there a nominated person we can escalate issues with these days? Um, just lots of problems with partners type 1 superannuation form. I'm so frustrated. I don't particularly want to bow down to your incompetence and resend it all again. So I'm asked about escalating it. And then this is the response I got. We aim to resolve your concerns within 40 days, which sent the practice manager into orbit. Yeah, which, which sounds, again, like that's the formal complaints route. So there is the option to, when you call up and speak to someone, there is the option to escalate to a manager. It might not be necessarily that they can take the call there and then, but it can be raised as an escalation. So we do have that in place. And um, we also have, I don't know necessarily whether or not I want to divulge this, but I'm going to, we have escalation routes for LMCs and <gasps> DGs. Um, so the, And it's different depending what the query is. So each service line will have a different way to, to escalate. Um, but I don't necessarily want to drive escalations to the LMC. I think it's more if you've tried to follow the correct contact routes and you're not getting what you need, then there is the option for the LMC to escalate. Michelle, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, I think it's just I think the question relates to when we used to have um, the relationship managers with PCSE. So if we had any queries, we would go. It used to be Tracy and Julie, I think, and they were so helpful. They always managed to in some cases not all managed to get the the issues resolved and i think that's what the question relates to it, it would just be i think i get that pcse is a big organization but actually having someone an individual that you know you can go to and ask the question and they come back with a, a you know an answer is so so much it's very much needed i would suggest but um, I recognise that that's not the structure of PCSE, but it's, it's really useful to know that there are escalation routes within your teams that when you get LMC queries. And we do have um, an escalation route, which I think Dawn might be just about to say around the BMA, so I won't steal her under our stop. <laughs> OK, thanks, Michelle. Dawn, do you want to come in? <clears throat> yes, we do use the BMA escalation route, um, Robert, um, which does usually result in, um, you know, successful resolutions. But we were told we have to wait the 40 days before the BMA can use that route. Is there another escalation route that we're not aware of? I mean, I know there's the there's an email address, but I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know about Michelle, I've tried to use that email address and I don't get anywhere with it myself either. Um, so is there something else we're not aware of? Uh, it sounds like there's something else that you don't know about. So I'll send you over the, um, the, we've got a slide deck that just covers all the different scenarios. So I'll send you over that after this. Um, Is it the email address, the specific email address? There's um, different email addresses. So it, it depends what the issue is. It sounds like we may have made some progress on this. We're excited to hear that, Robert. Thank you. And all our practice managers' ears will be pricking up. <laughs> yeah. no. so that is, yes, you might regret it, but actually you won't because it will, will only be helpful. That's brilliant. Okay, good. Um, 
GMS statements, we need more information on the payments, for example, what quarter or month they relate to. Is this going to be put in place? And if so, how soon will statements already published be amended? And that's from Charlotte Bond from Swan Medical in advance. So I'm, I'm sure you'll all be aware that when the June statements were generated, the GMS calculation was was blank, um, but that was fixed in June and retrospectively corrected in the June statements as well. So I, I think as far as we're concerned for the GMS statements, they should be complete now. That's not to say that they can't be improved moving forwards. Um, like where we've come from with OpenExter, that was pulling data from a system that was 30 plus years old. This system is not even two months old. So there is that scope to to improve it and it's easier to improve it moving forwards. But I'm not sure if, if that one was relating to the June statements or potentially it might also be the migrated statements because I understand when we migrated the historic statements from OpenExter into PCSE Online, some of the descriptors were missing. Um, but NHS England have approved us to leave OpenExter open until we get the migrated statements resolved so it's not not i'm I'm not charlotte doesn't give any more information on that one um robert but um kate's just come back with them when will all the corrections be made for all the mistakes on our first gms statement which does relate a little bit to what you were saying before one example just for example one gp partner has three extractions of the same amount taken in this one month so in in those scenarios you know what i said um earlier about there not being one national issue that impacts everyone like there could be these pockets of people that are impacted by a specific scenario and we're communicating directly to let you know when to expect that to be resolved if that happened in june though i would have expected that us to have been in touch about that so that's the thing so kate also she was one that put something on the q a and she's not getting a new response about anything yeah, Louise, would you be able to get me um, her details and send those through to me afterwards? I'm sure she'd be only too delighted if I do that. Um, yeah, I will certainly do that. Okay, thank you. Um, so, Jenny Doc, I'm struggling to reconcile the patient numbers on the capitation with our actual number. There are hundreds out. How is it calculated and how can this be checked if we think it's inaccurate and obviously um, updated to, to be accurate? Is, is this on the June statement or July statement? She's not saying... So I'm sure Jenny will come back with, um, I don't know, she hasn't said. Would they, would they be differently calculated then? Um, potentially, yes. Sorry, it's June. It's June, thank you. Yeah, so the, uh, the June statement was calculated using the NHAS data, so it should be the, the same as what you've seen in previous months. So obviously it isn't, um, and Jenny is, you know, she, she, will, she will know this. So if she wants to take that further, how can she... Um, get that amended and made accurate for her. It, with that, it have to be a case of raising a case with the CSC or through the online form. Okay, okay. Um, Jen is also sent through something about uh, just a concern about errors. Um, genuinely worried if it happens, if the errors again happen next month, they won't have enough money in the bank to pay staff bills. One practice was short of 48,000 pounds. Jenny, doc, sort of oversees a Facebook um, group for people so she's not necessarily talking about her own practice here what assurance is there that this won't happen again and when will the missing money be given back and are there any hardship funds practices can access if they have this sort of situation okay so i, I can only talk about um what we expect to happen next month and if it's all right I'll, I'll go back to june so when we launched pcse online it wasn't a case of just turning open extra off and turning pcse online on OpenExter was fed by NHAS, which had 82 different instances of NHAS. So it's quite a legacy system, and it was set up regionally, and it had stayed regionally even when those regions didn't exist in that form anymore. So there were 82 different sets of data that had to be successfully moved over into one instance of PCSE Online, which is to make it a bit more future-proof and a bit more logical and to assist with the decommissioning of NHAS. So that first month in June, we were still in the previous quarter. Um, all the calculations were done based on the figures that we pulled over from NHAS. But that did flush out quite a lot of mapping issues where in one instance of NHAS, you might have this field used for this figure. In another, you might have a different field used for the same figure. For you guys in the practice, it gave you the same result. Um, but actually, behind the scenes, it might have been worked out a little bit differently. So in June, that flushed out a lot of that 
um, there's data inconsistencies and, and there's mapping inconsistencies, which we've either rectified or we have a plan to rectify. And then in July, it was the first month where your statements have been entirely generated through the calculations in PCSE Online using PDS data from, from the spine rather than NHS data. So we've kind of had two month ones with this, which is a good thing because that, that kind of means that not everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in the one month. And, and it's allowed us to have a bit of control over that. Um, but it's bad from your perspective because now you've got two months of the less than perfect experience. Um, but this second month has allowed us to flush out everything else that could have gone wrong. So we're kind of at the position now where we think we know everything that might be wrong and we have a plan to fix everything that's wrong. So we should be all right next month. Michelle? Can I be honest? You know, I, if I'm sat here as a practice manager and I can't, and I've got £44,000 worth of missing funding that I haven't had that month, it's really, it is going to be really frustrating when they had Open Exeter that was solid, accurate every month, not an issue. And then to hear that, I get that there's two months and I, I get that there was, there is a need to potentially migrate a system into a more, into a 30 years is an old system. And I get that. But it's really frustrating for them when they have so many issues and there's this is potentially impacting on how they're running their practice. And if they've got no money to pay their staff because the new system isn't working properly, I think it's I think you spoke spoke last time about how you couldn't when you switched on in June, there was no um, possibility of even mapping and doing these two months without having it being live. I think that's what you mentioned last time, wasn't it? Or that the, you couldn't have a, a pilot site or a test. So you could see that these errors were going to happen. It's just really frustrating that practice, it's gone live. And actually, this, why couldn't this been resolved before it's gone live? Why are they now in a position that they've got m money missing and they're the ones that are feeling the consequences of it when actually some of this possibly could have been resolved before you'd even gone live in June? Okay, so this well, sorry, it's just I'm sat here feeling I know that that's probably what practices are saying that this is a new system. Surely it should have been tried and tested, and it was. why are they now experiencing the issues from a system that's not fit for purpose? Well, it it hopefully will be at some point. Okay, so it did go through testing months worth of testing in a test environment. We reduced go live in September. And when we migrate the data over, we made the decision not to go live at that point because we needed to do some more work with it. But at the point where we did go live at the beginning of June, we were in a position where we were comfortable that 82 instances of data could be migrated over to PCSE Online. The priorities were to make sure that the practice monthly contractual payments went through, all the data migrated and everyone could get access. And the things, unfortunately, what I'm saying today doesn't make the money magically appear. Um, but I'm trying to give you some reassurances that this is not new. We're not managing this service new as from the 1st of June. We've been managing it since, well, five years ago when PCSE took over the service. So, yeah, some things have been brought to light, but these things needed to be brought to light. And um, the team, when they're raising these cases and putting these bulk fixes in place, they're prioritising them based on is it having a financial impact and which are impacting the most number of users. So the reason why we're not putting just a, a mass, this will be a 30-day turnaround message out there is because where we can resolve it instantly, we will resolve it instantly. We're not naive to the fact that this is causing you issues and causing us reputational damage. And if I'm going to continue to join these meetings, I will be as open as I have been because I want you to understand our side of it, but also reassure you that we're not ignorant to what you guys are going through, even though it might appear like that sometimes. Thank you. Sorry, Louise, I think you were going to respond. Thank you, Robert. And I, and I know this is, yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. And we do appreciate you joining these meetings. And we, we really know you're, do. We really yeah, do. We know you're speaking on behalf of the organisation and yeah. it's not easy. But it, And I'm sure our frustration is and being reflected with other people who've also got lots of issues. But I guess you're not hearing it. People don't come forward to say, well, actually, this has gone well today. So um, I'm sure there are bits that actually have gone well. 
Um, so we just we'll just carry on um, with the with the queries. So um, a PCSE aware of the implications of unresolved problems retiring GP I think the answer is yes um, I think we've just resolved that actually you are aware of those um, so if there is a big financial problem with a particular practice Robert so I mean I don't think as I said I don't think I think Jenny was talking on behalf of lots of practice I don't think necessarily the 48,000 pound deficit was in our area what would you do because obviously that can't that can't wait to next month or the next month no, and I would pick up the phone and speak to the customer support centre. So I know I get mixed feedback about how, how helpful they are. And I think that's from the perception of, like, they might be hearing about an issue for the first time the same as you guys are. Um, but they are informed about the things that we know about and the plans that we have in place to fix them. So if they tell you, yeah, we've got a plan that's going to be fixed, they might think, oh, that's good enough in this scenario. But if there is some financial, some cash flow issues, ask to escalate it there and then. Okay, so they will they won't necessarily triage it themselves. They won't necessarily know to escalate it, but you need to say this needs to be as escalated as a hurricane, and maybe just keep ringing them just to make sure something has actually happened. You get some response, but how quickly if you're ringing up today and say I've got forty eight thousand pounds missing on my statement, when would you expect to hear something back with some with some just some comms to say what's happening with it? So the, the agent on the phone should be able to tell you because it'll depend on the scenario and who they need to escalate it to. So they should be able to give you a realistic time scale. And, okay. and I, I wouldn't say like keep ringing. I'd say if you're on the phone, just make sure that it's really clear that okay. this is going to have a detrimental impact and ask them to escalate it. Okay. So, so that you guys understand behind the scenes, we have early life support forums. So with different customer groups, different stakeholders, but also internally with the teams as well. So they happen multiple times a day. Um, but we also have a chat as well for the customer support centre, which I'm a part of. And, and they do ask questions constantly throughout the day. So if you are on the end of the phone and they don't know the answer, they will ask us um, whether or not we know the answer or what they need to do if we don't. So just rest assured that while you might not pick up the phone and get it resolved straight away, you have the right to, to know how it's going to get resolved. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, so this is from Jackie. I raised an issue with regards to GP pensions not being deducted. PCSE have sent me an email telling me they know there is an issue and which GP it relates to. And they said they would make the deductions on the next statement, but they haven't. Okay, I can't really talk about that specific okay. scenario, uh, but we do know we have these pots of GPs. So last month in June, uh, there were a number, I think there were around 6,000 GPs where we'd not made deductions. And it seems like, oh, it's just one issue why we haven't made these deductions. But then when we've looked into it, we've identified at least three scenarios where that's not pulled through. So for those three scenarios, we've communicated to the to the impact of practices to say, it's these GPs, this is what we're going to do about it. This could be one that's outside of that part, but if we've communicated to you and said it'll be it'll be deducted in July and it hasn't, then raise it with the CSC. Um, just um, another query about the testing. Why wasn't the mapping tested further? Um, I think we won't go on about that anymore. I think I think I think you've heard us. Um, so, Michelle said it's fine, and the PCN funding is also often delayed. So, practices of the league. Okay, so this is also money coming through. Um, and if, if the PCN monies um, and the money is going to the PCN, they can't send it down to the practices. It's just a, it's a timing thing. And, it's, and it's, 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 there's an, obviously an anxiety um, about the money coming through. But I think we're repeating ourselves there. So, I won't go ask you that. Um, yeah, I don't think there should be a delay with that, though. So, like, okay. the, the, the payments are are being generated and are being made. There are elements of your payment every month that we have to be instructed to make. Like, we don't make decisions on all your payments. They're either generated within the system or we receive an instruction from the CCG or NHS England area team to make the payment. And there are some other data sources that come in as well. So I, I don't think just, just take it that if there's been a delay or you've not been paid something, that it's something wrong with the system and we're working on it. I would, I would say query it and find out just to make sure... Okay, Michelle, did you want to come in on that one? Yeah, I, I agree with it. It might not actually be PCSE because obviously the, there are there is processes that feed into PCSE around PCM payments. And I think some of it could be the um, processes have changed. I think they're going via CQRS for some of them. And I know that's not been perfect. And I know there's been lots of issues with that too. So 
on that one, that might not actually be PCSE. It could be a CQRS or another issue. So uh, whoever's, uh, can't, who raised that, um, Louise? Sorry. Susie. Okay. It was Susie. Susie, do you want to send us that and we can maybe pick that up separately? Great. Okay. So is there a way to cap high payment amounts? So if above X amount of money, PCSE contact the practice before advising them and, and actioning everything. This way, a problem can be addressed before the monies are taken. So this is obviously somebody had a lot of money taken out that they, that they weren't expecting. Yeah, I think that uh, that'll be like scenario dependent. But um, yes. I think the most common scenario is where um, you have pension adjustments. So if a uh, performance list change has been delayed um, and then we approve it, by default, automatically, it's just one lump sum back data for the pension contributions. I'm sure we have something in place for that, though. Um, let me go away and just find out because putting a cap on things, um, yeah, it might be a figure that seems high, but it kind of depends on the size of the practice. Of the practice, yes, I completely understand that. Yes, so proportionately, it might be completely out of proportion, yeah. Yeah, but let, let me find out and see whether or not that is in place. And Thank what, you, Robert. Yeah, and we, and we do appreciate it. And last time when we, you said you would, you would go back and find out some stuff, you did. So we're very confident that this is a good relationship that we have with you, that you will come back. Um, and that's really helpful for us and the practices. Um, Andrew has said, I still have no access to GPP pensions and payments for our interim practice site. How do I get access? I've already raised a ticket for it. Um, so there's a, a couple of ways. Um, I'm just going to talk about this like as a process, if that's all right. So access to PCSE online for pensions and payments. It's managed by a user administrator in the practice. And that user administrator has to have a specific role, which means that they can assign all the other GP payments and pensions roles. Um, most practices, if yeah, I'll say most, most practices have that from Go Live. Um, or the day the service went live, sorry. Um, but it could be that it's somebody who's since left or somebody who's not there. Um, and in that scenario where you don't have someone who's that user administrator to give you access, um, you have to complete a form that's on our website that has to be signed by the one of the partners. And then we can set you up as a user administrator. So I'm assuming you've done that because you said you've raised the ticket. Yeah, he's come back and said, I've already had that and have completed the form. Okay, cool. I, I am not going to do this often, um, but if you can send your details to Louise, Louise, can you send them to me? And I'll ask our user management team to pick it out of the queue um, because we do just have one queue at the moment for user management queries, whereas things like this are a bit more urgent. So I'll see if they can pick it out and, and yeah. get it. And you send that to me. I will send it straight on to Robert. That's fantastic. Um, you'll be delighted to know we've finished the end of the questions, Robert. Um, I don't know if Dawn and Michelle had anything else they wanted to ask in particular. No, Dawn? Not particularly. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share, Robert, or you thought would be helpful for us to know and for us to share with our practices? I think I've, I've pretty much covered everything that I've prepared okay. in naturally. Um, I, I will say that the whole user management side of things, it's not its not run as smoothly over the past seven weeks as we thought it would. Um, practices already have these user administrators in practice for supplies and medical records and performance lists. And we thought, oh, actually, they know how to do this. So they'll, they'll just do the same for GP payments and pensions. Um, but I think we realised quite early on that it's a different person in the practice who would have this role. So they might not have been involved in supplies and medical records before. We did run some webinars in the first week in June, and there is a recording of how to do the whole user management piece on YouTube, which I can share that link with this group. It'd be great if, if you have the user management role and you're not confident with what you need to do, I would say watch that um, recording and just familiarize yourself with it. Because really, if you're the only person who has this role, if anything happens to you, then the practice is left without a user administrator, but you can have to four. So it might be a good idea for you to get your head around it, set up a couple of other user administrators, and then you can kind of relax a little bit knowing that somebody else has got that responsibility if, if you can't do it for whatever reason. That's a good idea. It's always a good idea to share that kind of information, isn't it? So the, And also the knowledge. Um, and sometimes just two heads are better than one, looking around some various different systems. So that can also be helpful from the, within the practice content. 
Okay, Robert. Um, thank you so much. Um, would you come back? I would love to. Ah, excellent. Thank you. We massively appreciate you taking the time to do this. It is really helpful for us because uh, it feels like we're making progress. Um, and hopefully some of the information that we're giving to you is also helpful for you to feed back into your systems. Yeah. Um, so in a couple of months time, perhaps if you come back, that would be really, really great. And all the things you said you would do, I know you will. So that's fine if you send them to us and we will cascade that out. Um, but we will let you go now. And um, thank you again very much. And, and we will see you again shortly. You're very welcome. Enjoy oh, thanks, the rest Robert. Of the day. Bye. Bye, Robert. Bye. Okay, so that was that was useful, I think, and I think he's. Um, we know it's not perfect, but I think he is at least honest and telling us what's going on, and he is escalating what he can. Um, so I think that's that's kind of all we can do, isn't it? We can't really undo the system or run it ourselves, which of course would be absolutely fantastic. So. Um, We'll leave PCSE aside um, and we're going to move on to other things. And um, there are obviously a lot of other big things going on at the moment. So, uh, Michelle, I'm going to hand straight over to you and we're going to look at, um, at COVID and the booster program. Thanks, Louise. And I will just following on from Louise, when, as I think Louise has said, when we raise anything with Robert, he's really quick to respond and he always responds. So, it's really good to have that relationship with him. So I'm just going to talk a bit about COVID vaccination program and the phase three enhanced service that's been released. Uh, just to make you aware, we've recorded a webinar with Nigel. Um, this uh, covers a number of things around COVID, the enhanced service, the easing of restrictions and some isolation information, which we only recorded it Friday and it's already out of date. I'm going to come on to that in a second. Um, we, it is a, a longer webinar, so it's about 50 minutes. And what we've done on our website is we've identified the timings on each um, topic. So you can jump, if you want to particularly look at one or, or, uh, or some of them, you can jump to those within the recording. So really just to give you some of the key headlines of what's in the enhanced service, which some of you will probably be aware of already. So the sign-up, um, the, the opt-in needs to happen by the 28th of July, and you've got till five o'clock on that day to put that in, with the uh, start of the enhanced service being from the 6th of September. This is being done again in PCN groupings. It's not an, on an individual practice basis, unfortunately. I think there was some, um, some that would have, uh, have liked that. However, they've gone for the PCN grouping, so it's very similar to the previous enhanced services for phase one and two. And if you choose to sign up to phase three, the um, phase one and two agreements will morph into the phase three contract. There's much discussion around the co-administration of COVID and, and flu. And unfortunately, it presents more questions than some of the answers than we've got answers for, I'm afraid, at the moment. And we're also awaiting the flu specification to be released, which will give practices an idea of what how you need to plan this. Um, the questions that we're getting around co-administration are particularly which vaccine the booster is going to be because if it's Pfizer they potentially will have a logistical issue around the 15 minutes and you won't get the throughput that you would normally get with flus. We're waiting on that. The research is still being undertaken around the co-administration of flu and COVID. Another area is around recording. So clearly at the moment COVID and flu are going to be recorded on two different systems and ideally it would be better to be one if they're going to be co-administered. Um, so again, we're waiting on detail on that. We've got issues with regards to um, national protocols and PGD. So nas the national protocol is in place for COVID and that enables you to break down the process with different people undertaking different parts of that. Whereas PGDs, they do require that the one person take, undertakes the whole process, which seems to be much more of a focus on this year. And it's always been there, but I think it's very much focused this year around how that's going to work for flu. Ideally, you'd have a national protocol for COVID and a national protocol for flu that enables that to make it easy. Um, Nigel's raising that nationally to see where that's at. And I think the other area, there's lots more questions, I'm sure, but another area that we're aware of in the flu specifications for last year, nursing homes and the ability to give the flu vaccination to the members of staff that might work in the nursing home isn't there unless they're registered with practices. And if we're going to do co-administration, ideally that needs to be changed so that actually practice can give it to both um, staff and patients. So those are the things that we're raising. 
The other areas just to highlight for you are the designated sites. So because it's being done in PCN groupings, you will need to have a designated site. And there was questions around whether non-NHS sites could be used. However, we know that PCNs, that the, in some areas, there is no NHS sites and therefore they do need to enable the non-NHS sites, which I believe they have. However, there will be a further value for money assessment on those sites, um, more so than there has been previously. Also moving to a capped pool model. So at the moment you get sent, you get told how many vaccines you're receiving, but um, they're moving, I think it's this month or maybe next month to a pooled model so that you can draw down a capped amount to, that you need for your areas. So that's, that's very positive. And then finally, just to round up on the money. So it's £12.58 per vaccine and there's a supplementary payment for, of £10 for any housebound nursing home, including residential um, homes that could be for learning disabilities as an example and also the homeless um, hostels that you might need to visit to administer uh, the COVID boosters. So that's really just a whistle stop tour of some of the areas within the enhanced service. What we are going to do I think would be helpful if people have got questions that I haven't covered which I'm sure there will be uh, we're going to collate all of these and have a session with Nigel to answer them and we'll share with you the answers that we get. Um, as I say, there's quite a few questions that we don't know the answer. and We're going to have to potentially wait nationally for guidance, but we will let you know that that's the case. Michelle, can I just butt in? The one question just popped in um, just about social distancing. I mean, what about the no need for social distancing for flu and COVID? Is it still a requirement for everything else? Do we know about social distancing in the particular tasks in the healthcare setting at the moment? I don't think so. I think I think the rules haven't changed. So whatever infection control, infection prevention control measures you're currently putting in place will actually they've, they've not changed. Nothing's changed. It's the same principles. So I would assume that social distancing would still need to be applied. Um, but we can clarify that. But my understanding is there's no, been no changes that patients are still required to wear masks unless they're exempt and also socially distance and respect what the practices have um, highlighted uh, within their waiting areas, on the websites, etc. Yeah, it's interesting that, so Debbie's come back to say, we were told at clinical assembly yesterday it was not required for flu clinics. I think all I can say is we were looking this morning, Dawn, Michelle and I, at some government guidance that were after a press release on Monday and things were contradicting themselves on the government website. So I just think, sadly, there's just a lot of confusion with a lot of this at the moment and some of the information just isn't out there. And so Torres, if the information isn't out there, sometimes people sort of put in what they think is the sort of best guess in its place. And it's difficult. And what we try and do is offer you what we actually know. Um, and as soon as we know more, we'll share it, won't we, Michelle? We will. And we can pick that one up as part of the questions we can raise with Nigel. So moving on from that around isolation. So we're getting a huge amount of queries from practices saying they have no staff because they're all having to, they've all been pinged and they've got to self-isolate. So we, you're probably aware that on the 16th of August, uh, England, the, the self-isolation rules will be changing. However, they have released this week, as of Monday, some further guidance, which um, Louise was alluding to around there's different pieces of information depending on which part of gov.uk that you go on to. So basically, the guidance that's been uh, released, I'm going to read it because it, it, it need, we need to be um, accurate with this. So from Monday the 19th of July, double vaccinated frontline NHS and social care staff in England who have been told to self-isolate will be permitted to attend work in exceptional circumstances and replaced by testing mitigations. So that's, could, that sounds quite a positive option. However, the devil's in the detail, isn't it? And what we need to do is unpick some of the detail that uh, they've included in this press release. The government is clear the change applies only to frontline NHS and social care staff, where their absence may lead to a significant risk of harm. And we're just trying to unpick what that means. So is it in relation to patients? If you've got no service, then potentially there could become harm. There could be um, harm. So we're going to unpick this. We're going to get you some detail. They have uh, identified a process that practices need to go through. And they also mentioned that the practices need or the NHS uh, organisations need to contact the directors of public health and health protection agency. We're just trying to clarify that for you. So you know exactly what you need to do should you find yourself in that position. So please just watch this space. We will share with you any details we've got shortly. 
Thanks, Michelle. Just one um, question has come in from Jenny. We're seeing increasing amounts of people asking for exemption from masks for airlines, COVID passport support and other travel related non-call requests. Can we do one of our lovely posters so we can use it on social media and websites? Um, I'm sure we can rustle something up that would be helpful. I think it's really tricky, isn't it? Because we've mm. had quite a lot of these queries into the into the LMC, obviously. Um, and I can understand with regards to face masks. I think there's a, we've also had holiday insurance um, cancellation forms coming in too. So we can definitely look at it. That's absolutely that. that yeah, we can look at that. Yeah, we'll take that. Um, and, and I'm glad that the information we're putting out there is useful for you. Um, so that's good to know. Um, Dawn, you were going to talk about um, recording overseas COVID vaccines, please. Yes, thanks, Louise. Um, <clears throat> again, some more questions uh, coming in um, about patients that uh, perhaps have had one or maybe two doses of COVID vaccine abroad, but arguably not in England. Um, so Public Health England um, have given us um a summary of all the vaccines that are comparable. So if you've had one abroad, what could you have in this country if you needed a second one? Uh, and that's for the clinicians to look at. However, having said all of that, um, they do go on to say that GPs can record in their clinical notes that a patient has had a vaccine abroad. However, please note, the information will not currently transfer to NIMS, the National Immunisation Management Service. So in other words, it won't show in their COVID passport. It won't be in the NHS app, um, which is arguably what a lot of people will be looking for. Um, over, overseas vaccinations must not be added to the pinnacle system um, because that would result in incorrect payments being made to, to GP practices, because you all know that that's the route for the GP payments. A technical solution is being looked at to support the recording of vaccines overseas in NIMS, but actually that's just in development. It's not there yet. Um, and as soon as anybody has anything more on that, we'll let you know. Um, but, you know, patients who are asking for their uh, vaccinations to be put into the system, that they've had abroad for the sake of the vaccine passport, you can't do that at the moment is the honest answer. Thank you, Dawn. That's good to know. Um, Debbie's come back saying she emailed with regards to holidays cancelled due to COVID, but the LMC haven't responded yet. We discussed it this morning, Debbie. It was brought up as a query at our management team meeting. We have a management team meeting every morning to bring up queries that we want to share as a team and to for formulate our response. So I don't know whether Dawn or Michelle, I can't, I can't remember which one of you query that was, but it was certainly brought up and we certainly talked about it. Yeah. It Did was you? me, Louise, and I will respond to Debbie hopefully later today. Okay. I mean, I think that, um, I think, I think the gist was you don't have to do a letter, but actually it's a PR disaster if you don't, because actually where a patient's going to get the letter if you don't do it, but you can charge for it. And it's part of, obviously, I know it's a workload issue, um, but it is difficult for the patient to know where else to go. I don't know if you wanted to say anything else. I think I'd just add to that, actually, like you say, it is a workload issue, you know, practices are under immense pressure. And I think it's for the practices to then inform the patient at, at what point that they can provide it. So it doesn't have to be done in 48 hours. It's for you to decide if you choose. It's not a contractual requirement to do. However, as Louisa said, I'm not sure, but it's a PR, it is a PR issue. And also where else would they go for that information? I think the practice is the only place that holds that. So I, I, I think you can manage the time frame in which you provide that. And it may be that it's, you'll provide it within a week to two weeks because actually you need to focus on NHS care and NHS patients. It's so hard for the patients at the moment, isn't it? Because they keep being told all the time, go to your GP. And, you know, and, and actually you've only got a certain amount of capacity to sort of spread the load. It's just, it's a very, very difficult situation. So Debbie, the answer is we, it's way to you. Um, just another comment that's come in. I've been involved in conversations with Nigel about a central NHS 119 call centre, supposed to go live a few weeks ago, but hasn't. Is there any update on this? As we don't have the time to deal with these queries, we're not funded to do so. And again, like we just like we're just saying, patients are stuck in the middle, um, as are the GP surgeries. I don't know whether Michelle or Dawn, you have any more information about that. So an NHS one one nine call centre. So I think this is in relation to errors on the NHS um, 
app. So when you're oh, okay. your, recording uh, a vaccination, vaccination passport, what the status, I think it's when there's errors at the moment, they go to the GP practice. Um, but there's been a view that actually at some point this will go to 119 for them to deal with. And I'm afraid, Ben, we don't have an update on that. So leave it with us. We'll have to look at that. But you're right, it's critical for that to be in place so you can manage your workload. Lovely. Thank you for that. Um, Michelle, I'm going to come to you now about the National Workforce Reporting Service. Yes, so this is um, something that you had been doing and is about to be resumed uh, in July. I think the first collection will take place on the 31st of July. Um, I'm also, uh, in, we're also informed that these collections will also start for PCNs in September. So it's just some areas that just to be mindful of so that you need to check that the person responsible for filling in these uh, returns has registered for the new service. Um, if you've already access to the uh, strategic data collection service, you don't need to re-register, but um, you will already have access. But they have suggested that you might just want to go and check that your login and account is still active and still working. And they've done a really useful timetable on NHS Digital around the collection timings. And there's also a webinar that's going to help. I, I believe there's two dates, Dawn, aren't there, for that they can sign into a webinar to learn about um, to learn about the reporting. But it's basically being resumed. Yeah, NH, NHS Digital are doing twice weekly webinars on it at the moment. So um, you can join twice weekly. <laughs> I'm sure everybody's got time to do that. Thank you, Don. <laughs> um, just a comment, Jackie sent in, the DVLA are also sending um, patients to GPs for a letter under Section 88 when elderly have applied to renew the licence, but the DVLA have said they're too busy due to COVID, so it comes to the GP surgeries. <sighs> I don't know, you just get lost leave, in words sometimes. Leave that you? with us, because I think we need to raise that nationally. So we'll pick that up, we'll raise it with the BMA. Thank you, Jackie. We'll, we'll, we're on to that. But um, yeah, we just find that sort of stuff so tough. But as we've said, it's the patients that are stuck in the middle and that's not fair on them, is it? So just finally, got a couple of things to share with you. Um, we, Leeds CCG have done a lot of work on a patient comms campaign to try and, and they, they, it's hashtag abuse is not in a day's work. So trying to encourage patients to treat you well. Um, so we've adapted those and we put them on our website in the zero tolerance section. Have a look at them. They're in word format, so you can add your own logo. You can even put your own photograph on or a photograph of somebody appropriate in your practice if you want to. Have a look at them. There's also sort of, um, you can put posts, use them for posts for Facebook and Twitter or whatever other comms, Instagram, whatever else you use um, for comms with your patients. So again, we hope that's it's part of a sort of a pack we're trying to do, as you've obviously seen, trying to give you more information so you can use our stuff or you can absolutely you do your own but if you haven't got time and you want to use our words and our images then you're very welcome we don't put our logo on them and because it's important the message is coming from you um and um, really important that it's, it, it's your doctors it's you and your team and um, that the messages are coming from and finally, um, we've just launched um, a new series of webinars starting in September. We've called them the How To Modules. They're for senior leaders, which is all of you, um, new, new partners um, and new, perhaps new senior GPs or GPs that want to learn a little bit more about the managing and the running of a practice. So we've got modules. They are just for two hours. There's one a month from September and they're on things like contracts, premises, partnership agreements, finance, leadership and complaints and performance issues. So they're led by our directors within our Wessex LMC's team and we've brought in experts where we need them. So there's a financial expert, there's a premises expert, um, there's the, um, an accountant and a, and a solicitor um, coming in um, to help us with those. So if they're useful, sign up to them. They're called the how-to modules. If you just put, type in how-to on the search box on the education and training page, you'll, you'll find them there. They're £25 um, for the two hours, and you can buy them also if you want to watch the recording afterwards. We just feel that sort of thing might be quite helpful for you and your team at the moment. So I think that's probably all for us today. Gosh, we haven't taken up nearly an hour for a little while now, have we? I think Robert was on with us slightly longer than he thought, I think. Um, so I hope that's been useful. It's been lovely to have you all joining us. That's sort of over 40 of you again coming. And we know lots of you listen um, afterwards to the podcast. So have a good week. Take care. And we'll see you again very soon. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.